0: get with go ahead and do that now and uh, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer father as we uh, think about the things we have to be thankful for we think about how many people over the lifespan of our church have we prayed for and seen them saved and baptized how many people have we prayed for maybe even just recently people that have been sick gone through surgeries and you've healed them we think about people that have had needs and you provided for those needs we think about people that uh, are sitting here today that at one time back in the early days when i was here they were single they were alone they were praying for a mate and you provided that i think about other people that have gone through the other they've gone through the worst in their family of rebellious children and yet you've seen them through. And in some of those cases, we've even seen children restored back to the Lord and to their parents. There have been people through here who have gone through the horror of a divorce, and yet they're here. They're victorious over that, and they're uh, still standing strong and faithful. All the job changes, the economy going up and down, the number of different presidents members of Congress, all of those kind of things, so many things that we have been through even as a church body, and yet we're here. And we thank you for that, Lord, because you are the author and the sustainer of our lives. And we thank you for the way you're working in people's lives even today. And we thank you, Lord, for the way you've preserved life. We thank you for the way that you sustain our life. And we thank you, Father, that... Even every day brings the hope of a tomorrow. We don't have a promise of it, but we have a hope for it because we know that you are a timeless God and we're going to live as long as you want us to live and we are going to have opportunities as long as we have breath and we thank you for that, Lord. We want to praise you for the opportunity that we have to be different from what we see in the world. Now, we could just set out by human effort self-discipline, and just determination that we're not going to be like the world. But I thank you that we don't actually have to do that. All we have to do is die to self and yield to you, and you'll change us. And we'll stand out, and we'll be different. We won't have the anger that this world has. We won't have the despair that this world has. We won't have the hopelessness this world has. We won't value what the world values. And we won't be setting ourselves up for ultimate failure like the world is by putting our trust in what doesn't matter. Our hope is not in this world, but our hope is in a sovereign God who rules and reigns over the world and in Jesus Christ, His Son, who died on the cross to pay for our sins and is raised from the dead and is returning one day. And as we uh, uh, were saying earlier, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, And righteousness. And we thank You for that. And we thank You, Father, as we pray for people. We pray for people who are sick. We pray for people who are recovering. We pray for people who are sinful. We pray for people who are backslidden. We pray for people who are lost. We pray for people who are... Well, Father, some people just seem to always be stepping in the trap of the enemy. And we want to pray for them. And we want to ask You to help them. We want to ask You As you taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And oh, how we can think of people who need to be delivered from evil. And we pray for ourselves, Lord. The burden of our heart is that we might please you, that we might grow in grace and knowledge, that we might overcome sin, that those things that keep tripping us up, that we might win victory over those things, For the glory of your name. Our prayer is that we might be better witnesses. Not a person in the room that is everything that they really want to be or ought to be for Christ. And we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And we also want to say thank you for your patience with your stubborn children, Lord. Thank you, Lord, so much for that. And help us. And we pray that today your power would work in us and through us. ...to make us what you want us to be... ...so that we can better represent the Lord... ...glorify you, have greater faith... ...and have more victory in our lives... ...and also to have more joy... ...that we can share with other people. So Lord, you know our needs... ...you know our concerns... ...you know the people that need a touch from you today... ...even somebody watching on live stream... ...and we want to pray, Lord... ...that you would do the things that please you the most... And overcome all of those things that the enemy throws in front of us and them. And we want to pray this because we believe you. And you said that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We believe. Help our unbelief. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, would you take your Bibles this morning? And we are going to 1 Thessalonians, of course. But now we've made it to the fourth chapter. So open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading at uh, verse 1. Now what struck me as I was uh, looking at uh, these verses is uh, I was going to cover a whole lot more. But I stopped it too. Because I saw something in Paul that I want for me and I want for us. And that is uh, a lack of apathy. It's so easy in this world to become apathetic. Somebody was knocking on a door and they said, I'm with the Gallup organization and I'm taking a poll. What do you think is the worst problem in America? Is it uh, ignorance or apathy? And the person answered and said, I don't know and I don't care and slammed the door. And that's kind of the way our world lives and the way that our world operates if you will think about it so many people they uh, they just don't care just don't care i think that's one of the reasons for the rise in drug abuse right now people just don't care they don't want to think they don't want to be involved they want to just tune out to use an old 1960s uh term and uh they're just dropping out of things and they're blitzing their minds and they're stoned and they're drunk and, they're, and they just don't care. And uh, that is rising, and rising and rising, the number, and it's a sad thing. But at the same time, I think that there are a lot of people that are constantly trying to numb their minds and they're constantly trying to kind of forget about things that are really going on And uh, they don't want to deal with things. And I think that even kind of creeps over into the church. And I was thinking about how, uh, as the title there, Apathy's Not an Option. I think the world, even though it can't do anything about it, I think the world kind of understands this better, maybe more than we do. I was thinking about uh, Sammy and I went to a high school football game. And uh, it's kind of amazing how... High school football has evolved since I was in high school. Everything's evolved since I was in high school. And, uh, you know, you think about what they do to try to promote everybody to really get involved and to cheer and to be loud and all of that type of stuff. Bands and cheerleaders and chants and all kinds of things, even to the announcer. You know, make some noise, it's third down. You know, all of that kind of stuff. Why? Because, you know, if you went into a... Uh, uh, into the stands and everybody is just quiet and bored kind of like you know they do in church and just sat there and never applaud never clap, never respond never do anything like that at all what a boring situation that would be and the team's not going to play up to its potential and it's not going to be a very good experience and so they kind of understand that politicians understand that you think about the brochures and the commercials you see for politics and uh, have you ever noticed if, if you're my age, you can identify with this. Every stinking election is the most important election ever. Okay, It's like, oh, if you don't get out and vote, America will no longer exist. Okay, Well, I kind of think that may be true right now, but at the same time, I've heard that every election. And you know what happens after a while? Yeah, I've heard that before. Kind of like church. Yeah, I've heard that before. Jesus loves me. This I know. I've heard that before. No big deal. Jesus died on the cross. No, no, no big deal. A friend of mine was preaching in Arkansas. And he was preaching away. And I mean, man, he was really chugging along. And he said, and Jesus rose from the dead. And the church just sat there kind of like you know, quiet. And he just looked at them and he said, if the Arkansas Razorbacks have scored, you would have done something. And that is so true, isn't it? We have things that get our attention, that make us rise to the occasion. My brother, believe it or not, uh, he's a, an ardent OU fan in football, especially, and basketball. And, uh, man, he loves to go to the games and all of that. And uh, he even had Merv Johnson. Any of you old-timers remember Merv Johnson? Merv Johnson came and watched my brother play football. My brother was saying, I'm going to get a scholarship to Bill Sooner. And uh, Merv told him, he said, you've got a lot of talent, son but you just don't have the size we're looking for. Boy, it really disappointed him. He told me one time, he goes, I should have walked on anyway. He said, I would at least got an, a championship ring, even though I didn't set a foot on the field. You know, we laughed about that. And he took his son to Norman to a game. And he said, man, I'm thinking my son is going to love this. You know, when they do the pregame stuff, all of the pageantry, and when the band comes out, you know, and when the drum major leans back where his head's almost touching the ground and struts across the field and everything. He said, man, I just get chills up and down my spine when I do that. And so he took his son, and they watched that, and he looked at his son, and he said, boy, isn't this great? And his son goes, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Just didn't really care. Just apathetic about the whole thing. And so the world works really hard to try to get us to cheer, to be involved, to pay attention, to want to attend things, to want to vote, to want to give to the politicians, you know, all of those things that we try to do. And we want to try to involve our family in things, we want to get our kids involved in things, we want them to love what we love and to be excited about what we're excited about, all of that type of thing. And uh, we understand that. And that obviously is a very good thing. Let me put my phone on silent real quick before I get a phone call that I don't want. And uh, so we we think about all of that. And and that came to my mind as I was reading these verses. But before I read the verses, I want to read out of an article that I found. And uh, let me see. Why do we become apathetic, it says. Often it happens... When we've been hit with painful emotions so overwhelming that we completely shut down. Pain, hurt, and loss can be devastating. And sometimes we feel like we can't bear it, so we go numb. We stop caring about anything, and it can be a form of depression that's from an article called the psychology of apathy okay now that's not the bible that's not what God says about it but I think all of us can kind of identify with it and see some things about it and uh, we say things like uh, you know you hurt me once Shame on you. Hurt me twice. Shame on me. That type of thing. And we're not going to be hurt anymore. We put ourselves in bubble wrap, spiritual bubble wrap, so that we don't get hurt, bumped, or bruised. And that also means that we stay in isolation from one another because we don't want to get hurt. And that means that we don't get too excited about much of anything. And I wonder sometimes if some of us also have in the back of our minds this looming doubt that maybe even God is not going to do everything that He promised or everything that I see Him doing in other people's lives. I wonder how it is that a guy named Joseph can go from being his father's favored son to being thrown into a pit, originally to be left for dead by his own brother's, and then those brothers, when they say there's no sense in letting a, a good you know, specimen die, let's sell him for a slave and make some money off of him. So they sell him to the Midianites and there he goes, a teenager on his way, chained on his way to Egypt to be a slave for the rest of his life. How do you function? How do you ever get any joy in your life? How do you ever make anything of yourself? How do you deal with those kind of things? And when I look at that, I go, wow, it's a good thing I didn't live back then. It's a good thing I wasn't one of a Joseph like that because I don't think I could have handled it, you know? I get frustrated because I can't find a TV show. I miss basic cable sometimes. I've got this feeling that where I've watched people from the World War II generation when they're in hospice and they're unconscious and they're not taking in any nutrition or anything like that and yet they go on and on and on and on and on and it's because they're tough. I've got this feeling that I'm going to be in perfect health and the air conditioner doesn't work and I'm ready to go to heaven. (laughs) Done, you know our generation is not all that tough and as our comfort level goes up so does our discomfort level my great-grandfather probably never gave 90 degrees a thought but we're so used to having everything at 72 or in our house lower than that to be comfortable that boy it feels hot when it's 90 oh it's getting getting really hot out here unless you like that kind of weather of course Uh, but my great-grandfather never gave it a thought because he didn't have any options. It was always like that, inside or outside. And so as our comfort level goes up, we're also more aware of our discomfort. And I think the same thing happens the, the more we have in our life, the more things we have to do, the more we experience, the more options we have, the more disappointments that we have as well. And I think it kind of shuts us down in Everything, everything doesn't uh, uh, meet our expectation. Everything that we do, it doesn't live up to the hype. And I think that kind of uh, sneaks over even into our spiritual life with the things that we read in the Bible, with the things that we pray about, with the things that we hear other people talk about. And I think when we shut down, we just go, well, I'm not going to deny God, but I'm not going to get very excited about Him and His work and His church and his people, and his word, and his miracles, and all of that either. I'm going to hold it in reserve and put spiritual bubble wrap around myself so that I don't get bruised or broken anymore. Well, Paul wasn't like that because if anybody had ever been bruised or broken, it was the Apostle Paul. And uh, he was one who was in prison so many times, shipwrecked, beaten, all of that type of stuff. Had churches betray him. Turn their back on him. Spread rumors about him. Had people that would forsake him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says only Luke is with me. Demons has forsaken me. Having loved this present world. And all of that type of thing. So if anybody had a reason to just check out. And tune out. And to disengage. And to not be hurt anymore. It would be the Apostle Paul. And yet... I find something in these verses. I want you to notice the way these things are um, written. Well, let's, let's do some other... I got ahead of myself, I'm sorry. Let's do some other Bible verses first so you can see where the heart of God is. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Colossians 3, 23, Whatever you do... Work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men galatians five twenty four and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and Hebrews chapter twelve, verse fourteen says, "Let us or pardon me, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully." Lest any one fall short of the grace of God, and lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, What you find in those verses is anything but just the laissez-faire, whatever will be, will be Uh, God's sovereign. I guess it'll be okay. I don't care. I'm not going to get involved. Stay out of this. It, it, It all rings of God's people being intentional and being passionate about what they do for the Lord, whatever it may be, especially that last part, looking uh, of course, unto Jesus, we sang about that. Now, Paul's words show intense desire for this body of believers. So now we get to our text, okay? And pay attention to these words and think about the uh, zeal, I guess we would say, that is behind them. First Thessalonians 4, just verses 1 and 2. Finally then, brethren, and that's a term of affection... We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And I couldn't get past... Even though this fits in with the context of the verses that follow, I couldn't get past his little introduction there. I couldn't get past what he was feeling. I couldn't get past what he was thinking. I couldn't get past his attention to this church and to how that they are living. And how he wanted them to experience the fullness of the Lord. And So I thought about this. There's just no place for apathy in the Christian life. And this is part of the reason our world is in the shape it's in. Everybody agrees, even lost people, they agree that the world and our society and our culture is not in good shape. But we're the only ones that could do anything about it and we tend to sit on the sidelines distracted, looking around like a little kid at a ball game at something else, not really paying attention or knowing what's going on or really getting involved in it. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to be bruised. And that's understandable. That's understandable, but only to a degree. Because only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last and so Paul is exhorting these people don't let the persecution you're under get you down don't let it cause you to unplug or disengage I mean what would Paul say to us and what would Paul think of us in this country in this generation to uh, see why aren't you doing more why aren't you doing what matters why aren't you focused Upon the Lord. Why aren't you? And, and he could go on and on with that type of thing. Because we can't handle the score of a ball game. Can we? We uh, determine whether our week is going to be good. By what 20 somethings do on a ball field. Well shame on us. When we're like that. We can't handle the smallest things. The slightest things that come our way. Well shame on us. We are God's people. It ought to be different for the people of God. Because the world and our children look at us and they go, what's the difference between you and everybody else? And that's what we ought to be showing them by the way that we live. And not just like robots or zombies mindlessly going through those things, but with intensity focused intensity over a long period of time that they can see and know that we are for real. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your children could look at you and say, Dad, I can tell you're for real because you have a zeal for Jesus like nobody else I've ever seen. Mom, I can tell you're for real because you have a zeal and a passion for Jesus like nobody I've ever seen. And that's not something that we ought to be trying to fake. This is not a performance. We're not in an acting school or in a drama. It ought to be something that comes from our heart. And so Paul writes these things and he says, number one, he wants us to say and to think and to feel and to have and to act upon life and other people with a godly passion. Notice his passion for this church. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and we exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more. He wasn't satisfied. He wasn't looking around and saying, yeah, it was okay. It was okay. You know, most of the time you ask somebody, how's church? Yeah, it was good. It's good. Well, that's what you're supposed to say, isn't it? It's good. Not really exciting, not really life-changing. Well, we heard the Word of God that is inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, and eternal. Mm, It's good. It's good. Had my daily Bible reading, and I read, and I heard from God through His Word, and His Spirit enabled me to understand it. But, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. And we go on like that. There's something wrong, and the reason we're not the salt and the light and the influencers that we ought to be in this world is because that's about the amount of zeal. You see, for some of you, the boldest thing you've ever done for Christ is to wear a Christian t-shirt. What if your military was like that? What if the cops were like that when you needed them? And yet we've got a world that's lost and dying, and we don't have a passion for the only antidote for sin that exists, and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look at that and we go, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? And what is it that we're going to hold up before God and say, I know Jesus died on the cross, and I know that he paid for our sins with all of that, but you don't understand, I got my feelings hurt in church. Really? Seriously? And I even want to add, how dare you? How dare you to compare what you go through to what Jesus did for you and use it as an excuse to check out and rob us of your presence, of your blessing, of your wisdom, and of your ministry. You don't have that right! Get it? You get it? But what do I matter And who cares? And I don't want to do... Hey, listen. Listen, that's not the way we're supposed to act. If Paul had done that, we wouldn't have most of our New Testament, would we? The gospel never would have made it into Europe, would it? And so we look at this guy who won't quit because his passion was in the right place. And what about crowds... And it wasn't about giving, and it wasn't about miracles or anything like that. Because Paul, while he would see those things, he had plenty of times when there was none of that. He's in a prison cell. He's been beaten. Everything has been unjust. He's been betrayed. He's been forsaken and all of that. And yet, like the Energizer Bunny, he just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. And so I think about so many times with us. What does it take? What does it take? And so we might go, What is it going to take to really get us excited? Well, here's another question What's it take to stop you? Have you ever really examined that? Because it's embarrassing how little it takes to stop us and what stops us from doing eternal things that God has called us to do. Well, not Paul. You're not going to stop him. He cared. He was concerned. It bothered him when people weren't right with the Lord. It bothered him when people weren't growing in the Lord. It bothered him when there might be the temptation for others to stop. It wasn't all about him. He was going to keep on going so that he could say like he did in 2 Timothy 4, I fought the fight and I finished the race and there is a crown laid up for me. Well, that's what all of us ought to be thinking. I can't quit. There's a race to be run. There's a victory to be won. There's a fight to finish. And there's a crown that I'm going to gain for the glory of God. I want something to lay at the feet of Jesus. And so should you. And so that's what Paul is thinking about. Amen. I mean, think about how we sell our souls out for the things that don't really matter. Secondly, I want you to notice how in this there was a godly example. Now, if you become apathetic and you check out and you say it doesn't care, you just lost your right to be an example because you became a bad example. Think about it. What kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? And we want to try to say, well, I'll put that on somebody else. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. That's not what we're saying here. We're saying this, somebody's watching you, and somebody's going to follow your example. Where are you leading them? You're going to give an account for it. Where are you leading them? And if you're stumbling one of God's little ones, if they're using you as an excuse to quit, if they're using you as an excuse not to be involved, if they're using you as an excuse not to be passionate about Christ, you're guilty of stumbling one of the Lord's little ones. Seems like there's a Bible verse about that, right? So we've got to be intentional about it. And notice the godly example that Paul set. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk. So is anybody who looks at you seeing how they ought to walk? Now let that sink in. It doesn't matter. It's just me and Jesus. Where'd you read that? I've been reading things that say I'm to love the Lord with all of my heart and all of my being and love my neighbor as myself. It seems like the two go together. I've been reading that the Bible says if I say I love God, but I don't give a rip about my brother, I don't really love God. I'm a liar. See? And so Paul is saying here, I can't just be apathetic about all of this. You remember how I taught you and showed you. How to walk. They both have to come together. I remember one time um, back in Tuttle, we had a Sunday school teacher who hardly ever came to church except during Sunday school. That's a committed committed leader, isn't it? Well, with leaders like that, how can you fail? Right? Getting on to her class because they didn't come to church. I remember a guy that back at one of the early churches I served at, that the pastor and I were both gone to a conference and he filled in and he was just ripping people. We listened to it on the tape and we listened to it with our mouth wide open. Ripping people because they weren't witnessing and going out on visitation. This guy never went out to church visitation. What right do you have if you're not going to be an example? You need to love the Lord with all of your heart. Well, you need to examine yourself first. You need to be a faithful, committed member of Graceway. Well, you better examine yourself first. Paul is looking at this and he's saying, there's no place for apathy. We taught you and we showed you so that you don't have any excuse. And I'm afraid there are a lot of people that watch us and they go, well, I heard the words, but I don't really see the action. Phony, fake. And everything in the world today seems to be fake or phony and uh, people just unplug and they don't really care. I, My prayer is that for you and for me, we would be so real, so real in all of this, that they would look and they would say, that is unmistakable, unmistakable as a Christian. So what are we doing for the cause of Christ? What are we doing for the sake of upcoming generations? What are we doing for the sake of weaker believers, regardless of their age? What are we doing in a way that would actually make our lost neighbors pay attention? What would we do and what's going on in our lives that is shocking to this dead, hell-bound world? See, God has intended for us to be like lightning striking when we go out into the world. We're light, and there's light and there is heat going along with it. It's not just a bunch of words or a doctrine or a statement that we sign, but it is the passion of our heart. Can you hear it in Paul's life? Can you feel it in his words? Thirdly, you'll notice that there was a godly focus. He mentions there to please God. You know, so many times I go to uh, conferences and they say, how to grow your church. Is that really the goal? I'm not opposed to it. Don't get me wrong. Not opposed to it. None of us are. We want to be reaching people. But is that the goal? Because if that's the goal, then that means it's wide open what we do. We could change everything and... Uh, Have a stand-up comedian come in next Sunday morning and we could fill the place. Right? But that's not the goal. The goal here is to please God. May I ask you a very personal question and please don't answer, don't respond. Just look in your heart. How important is it for you to please God as opposed to pleasing self? Now, I know you'll please yourself, We'll go to great lengths to please ourselves. We'll pay any price. You know, they talk about uh, in this time of inflation, boy, the cost of utilities is going to go up. I bet it doesn't cost very many people to shut off their air conditioning or their heat. All oh, the gas prices are just hitting record high, and we still have traffic congestion? Why? Because we're not going to give those things up because they make us feel good. They make us comfortable. They please us. And so many times our hearts are focused on pleasing ourselves. And maybe to some degree we please other people. The Bible warns us against being men-pleasers, doesn't it? But how often do you think about, does this please God? How many times do you think about the things that you maybe don't do? And you go, well, I don't want to be a bad example. Well, I'm not opposed to being a good example. Hear me. that's, That's good. But how many times does that go further to say, I don't do this because I believe it pleases God for me to abstain from this? Or I do this because I believe it pleases God for me to do this. I mean, after all, that's why Jesus went to the cross, isn't it? Because it pleased the Father to bruise Him. And so Jesus says, here I am then. If this is what pleases you, here I am. How, How many of you would go a step further than your own comfort in order to please God. And how many of you get proud of the fact that you do some things to please God? And then when you compare that to what Jesus did on the cross to please God, well, we ought to fall to our knees in shame. How dare we ever, ever try to take upon the mantle of doing what He did because we don't. And so Paul talks about this to please God, that seems to be the key on all of this. It's not just about having your best life now, as a smiling preacher from Houston would say. It, it doesn't just mean about how to have a better marriage, how to have a better uh, financial situation, all of that. All of the sermons that we hear now kind of have a how-to type thing, and that's what we say, boy, they're really being practical and getting us. Yeah, but do they please God? The key ought to be, does it please God? That's what Paul was concerned with. And then number four, there was a godly testimony. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And we think about the testimony that we have. Where our life and our lips match up. You see, some people, they have a good testimony with their lips, but their life doesn't match. Other people may have a good testimony with their life, but they never talk about it. And so people just assume, "Oh, you just must be a good guy. You just may may maybe you're a good lady. You're just a good person, that people say. And Jesus says, no, I want to get glory out of all of them. I want your life and your lips to match up so that people know that the good things you do and the things that you don't do, and the way that you live your life are structured around me for the glory of God so that when you witness to people, it actually has credibility. For example, if somebody tells me, yeah, I'm a lifelong Republican, and they've never voted for a Republican candidate, I question that. Don't you? Have you ever heard of stolen valor? There are some guys in an airport... They had previously served in the military. One of them had been a Navy SEAL. And they saw somebody walking through the airport wearing a Navy dress uniform. And something just wasn't right. Their medals weren't right. In fact, they were wearing medals instead of ribbons. And um, other things weren't right and they confronted that person and it turned out that person had just bought the uniform somewhere and they bought the medals and put them on. And they wanted to get all of the honor and all of the advantages that a veteran would get traveling when they had not earned it. They called it stolen valor. I'm afraid sometimes in church there's some stolen valor I'm afraid that there are some people that when we hear them pray, it's a script. It's the right words, good words, but it's not really what they believe. It's not really what they believe. It's not really what is in their heart. It's stolen valor. I think that there are some people that they teach the word of God and they teach it and they use themselves as a good example of how this ought to be done and yet that good example is not exactly truthful, it stretched it a little bit, embellished it a little bit, made it sound a little better and a little more spiritual and a little more victorious than it really was. You ever heard anybody like that and you, you heard it and you go, wait a minute, I'm not sure that's, that, that's exactly right. You've probably been to a funeral or two when you heard the preacher talk about the person and you went, that's not the person I know. That's not really the way they were at work. That's not really the way they were as a neighbor. That's not really the way they were when we weren't in church or when the doors were closed or something. It's called stolen valor. We're trying to take on something that we're not. We're trying to be something that we're not. And it's a performance. It's a game. And here's the thing, folks. God sees your heart. God sees your heart. The danger when we get apathetic, what would that be? Well, we lose our passion, so we just go through the motions. Maybe. Because we don't really care. Maybe we don't even care to go through the motions anymore. Do you know anybody like that? I can think of two people right now that used to be, well, at least they appeared to be very passionate followers of Christ in our church, and they don't even come now, and they don't seem to care. I bet you know somebody like that too. You lose your passion, then you know what happens? You become a negative example. Because anybody that follows after you, they're going to go, Oh, I don't have to come every time the doors are open. Oh, I don't really have to come very regularly. Oh, I don't really have to be involved in that. And so they follow suit. And they even get worse. You become a negative example, not a positive one. And then you begin to focus on people, circumstances, and feelings. I would be better as a Christian except for, and then we name a name, I would be except for, and then we name a circumstance. And then they say, well, I used to go to church and I used to do this and I felt this way and I was so excited, but I don't have the feeling anymore. And so what good does it do? Because we're worshiping and serving self. Right? And then what happens? You quit and you completely lose your testimony. So that when you die, people say, well, he made a profession of faith and he was baptized. And at one time he seemed to really be into it, but gosh, I wonder, was he real? Is he really in heaven? Was he really a servant of Christ? And what I find in the scripture is we're not to leave any question Or any doubt about who we are, what we believe, and what's important in our life. My treasure, my priority. You sang that a while ago. Did you lie? Did you lie? If you did, you might ought to confess it. And you might ought to ask the Lord to do whatever He needs to do to make it true in your life because the Bible tells us that those who are liars are not going to make it to heaven it doesn't mean just those who tell a lie it means those who live a lie see there's some people you're pretending to be a Christian and you're not and you know it and God knows it and the devil knows it but you're pretending you're going through the motions liars don't enter enter the heavenly city and for those of you who say, well, I know I'm born again, then are you acting like an unbeliever by living a lie? you got to get your focus, and you've got to turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's amazing how Brother Dale put those songs together today. He didn't look at my notes. He didn't know what all I was going to cover. Oh, he had an idea, but he had no idea what the focus is going to be. And the focus is there's just no Room for apathy in the Christian life. It's not of God. It is destroying you and your testimony. And it is hurting other people that if you had an ounce of compassion and care and zealousness and passion for the Lord. I mean that in a godly way. Oh, what a difference you could make or the Lord would make through you in the lives of other people. Maybe just one But that's okay. If all of us here today had impact on one life, we'd have to put out a whole lot more chairs, wouldn't we? Doesn't take much. Doesn't take much. And some of you could have impact on 10, 20, or 30 people. Some of you are so extroverted it's not even funny, you're annoying. Use it for the glory of God. Some of you are introverted. You're like scotch tape. You're there, but until you look real close, you don't notice it because you don't like to be out front and center. It's okay. It's the way God made you. But use it for the glory of God. And don't think that it excuses you from being a witness or being an example or being involved. Serve where you can. Serve how you're gifted. And do it with the joy of the Lord and with zeal. It says about the Lord Jesus Christ when he overthrew the the thieves and the crooks in the temple. He quoted a verse out of the Old Testament that said, zeal for your house has consumed me or eaten eaten me up. And that's the way we're supposed to do. Everything with purpose and with passion. So I suppose we need to pray. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And would you just say to the Lord, to a certain extent, He's talking about me. Forgive me and fill my heart with zeal, with passion. Take away the apathy. This world is suffering today because Christians are apathetic. Don't let that be said of you. Lord, we know one thing is true of our Lord and Savior. Whenever you said to the Lord Jesus, go and be the sacrifice for sins, He didn't shrug his shoulders and say, whatever. He didn't just come down here and live with a yawn. Everything he did was intentional. It had purpose. And he was heading toward the cross. And when he was on the cross, he bore the wrath of God for us. And he did it, the book of Hebrews said... For the joy that was set before Him. That's anything but apathetic. And if Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit, then that can be ours as well. To get up every morning for the glory of God. To live every day for the glory of God. To have purpose in our relationships. To have passion about the local church. To think about this local church. Little old Graceway. This is the kingdom of God. We are the people of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is no small time operation. This is big time. Because it has to do with eternity and with the glory of God. Forgive us when we think less of it, of your plan, of your purpose, of the people for whom you died and of you, then we ought to. We're ashamed. Forgive us. And for that person who's been faking it as being a Christian, May today be the day they come under conviction, repent of their sins, put their faith and trust in Christ alone for their salvation so that you receive more of the glory you deserve. And may every day be a day of greater and greater and greater glory. And by the way, Lord, there's a lot of us, including me, who've been hurt in church. Would you heal us? Would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you give us joy? And would you cause us to quit looking at circumstances and people and feelings and to start looking to Jesus who has never failed us? And this we pray in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen.